Welcome to the King's Table, a podcast at of King's Hill Church in Boston, where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today we have with us Paul Kugel, who is a life group leader and a church member at King's Hill. We're answering the question today, how can we seek God while at home? Enjoy. Paul, it's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Jonathan. I am very excited to be diving into this topic together. You know, as we talk about home, that term actually is pretty fluid. It means different things to different people. Are we talking about seeking God at home while in quarantine? Because that's going to be different than someone uh, who considers home the place they go to when they get off work at 5 p.m. Are we talking about someone who lives at home alone or, or who has others with them? Talking about someone who works from home? That you, We can see there's quite a spectrum here. Now, Paul, let, let's dive in, okay? With all of those things in mind, what does pursuing Jesus at home look like? Well, I think there are three helpful principles to consider as we talk about this idea of pursuing God at home. And I think the first principle is that God is our true home. So from the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created people to be with him. And this idea is repeated throughout the Bible, in the book of Psalms, in the book of Hebrews, and in the book of uh, John, Jesus actually says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll return and take you there so that you may be with me. So nowhere on earth is going to feel like an ultimate resting place, because God is our ultimate resting place. So that's the first principle, God is home. And the second principle is when we talk about home, what we really mean is a place to meet with God. And you can meet with God anywhere, uh, at a desk, at a coffee shop, on the team, on your couch. But we are specifically going to be talking about our address, you know, where our, our head lays down at night. But, but really, God is home. Uh, when we talk about home, what we mean is a place to meet with God. And the, the third thing I would encourage us with is we have to remember that Jesus wants to pursue us. I had a counselor one time who said, he said it this way, the only walls that prevent you from meeting with God are the ones you bring with you. If you are in Christ, God's posture towards you is that he desires intimacy with you. So, so keep those thoughts in mind as we go through the conversation today. Since God is home, how can we make space to go home, go to God throughout the day? Yeah, that's great. Where, wherever I am, I have the opportunity to meet with God. So as we think about meeting with God at the place I call my address, I think right out of the gate, I'm going to have to make a decision. What's going to win out in this space? Will my home be entertainment centric or will it be centered on Jesus? Home is a place for nurturing. So how am I going to use my home as a place to nourish my soul and what am I going to nourish it? Jesus says in John 15 verses 5 and 7, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it's going to be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The way I'm going to bear fruit for God's kingdom and experience the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, and peace, that's going to come by abiding in Jesus, but Jesus says that comes by abiding in his words. So as we, as we think about seeking God in our homes, uh, 
home is a place where my soul has to be nourished by the word of God. At home, I'm speaking broadly here, but at home, we have the most margin in our day to pursue what we want. If I'm in the workplace, I'm tied to responsibilities, but at home, I can tend to set the pace. So I got to make time in God's word a non-negotiable. And if I must uh, designate this time, whatever, you know, whatever time I'm saying is going to be with God, I might even have to mark it in my calendar. Right? Like what we put in our schedules, that's what we tend to be committed to. It also helps me to say no to other offers when they pop up, but I have to be seeking God's word while at home. You know, I love that you took us to John 15 because the language in that passage is related to this idea of home. So when Jesus uses the word abide, you can almost think of it as dwelling place. So that verse you read earlier, if you reword it a little bit, if your dwelling place, if your home is in me, and my words have a dwelling place in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus is our dwelling place and his word should take up their residence in us. So that, that, that's, the, that's the basis, right? From the beginning, we talked about Jesus is our dwelling place. But let's talk about life pre-COVID, practically speaking. So uh, in the mornings, I would get up around 5 o'clock. Oh, that's early. <laughs> Man, they, uh, the Boston Public School System will uh, take advantage of your early mornings. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was great to, to meet those smiling faces uh, early in the morning. But yeah, I mean, you know the routine. Shower, get dressed, eat breakfast, defrost the car, brush my teeth, try to get out the door. Um, and, you know, I would try on occasion to get up before five o'clock, but you know what would happen without fail every time? you fall asleep. I'd fall yeah. asleep, yeah. man. So I, I made the decision to start meeting with God at work. So I'd show up at my desk, I'd put my headphones in, turn on some worship music, and boom, that's me and Jesus sitting together over his word. And I just love that. But, but now it looks a bit different because of COVID, I get my special spot. So I'm not rushed. I have my morning ritual. I come downstairs, start the coffee, turn on some worship music, grab my Bible and my journal, and they, they stay in the same spot on the table. So I grab them and it's me and Jesus. It's the same thing. So I was doing it at work, and you even told me before when you were working at the well, you had some time where you could just sit before the, the noise of the day started. You could mm -hmm. just sit and be with Jesus. And, and so that's what I would just stress, whether we're talking about pre-COVID or during COVID or even post-COVID, how can I go home to God throughout the day? And hopefully that's happening in your house, in the place that you call home. Yeah, and, and Paul, as you're talking about, you're meeting with Jesus. Uh, I would encourage us to, to, to pick a time, stick with it. And it might be in the evenings, but I would really press for us to find that time meeting with Jesus in the mornings before the day kicks off. Paul writes in Colossians 3.1, he says, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Now, Paul, you might be, uh, you might be more spiritual than me, you probably are, but I just don't wake up naturally thinking about heavenly things. Oh, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> For me, it's quite the opposite. I, I wake up thinking about my to-do list, questions about the future. What I didn't get done yesterday. <laughs> That's lingering concerns of yesterday. My heart, honestly, needs a recalibration. I need time with Jesus in the morning to start everything off. Otherwise, I just feel rattled. But it's not just in the morning when I need Jesus. I need him every moment of the day. So as the day continues, I'm thinking over what I read that morning. 
kind of like putting a piece of chewing gum in your mouth. You're just constantly chewing on what you read throughout the day. And, and even as the day is coming to a close and I'm back home, for me, it's with my wife and kids. How can I continue abiding in God's word? Some of the sweetest moments for us right now as a family, it's that 5 to 6 p.m. time frame. It's a time where the girls get dinner, and once dinner's done, we get to sing kids' worship songs, and I'm acting like a kid myself. You're dancing right along. I'm, I'm dancing. I'm, it's a workout for me. I'm not going to lie. And, and even after our girls go down, the question still is, how can I continue abiding in Jesus' words? I never want to take a break from setting my mind onto heavenly things. So in the evenings at home, this could look like spending time with my wife, talking about faith and things we read in the Bible earlier that day. It could look like praying for those in our church and missionaries around the world. It could look like picking up a faith-based book in the evenings and reading them to feed my soul or, or choosing a faith-based movie to watch. The point is, if, if I'm going to pursue God at home, I, I can't take a break from my mind being on heavenly things. And I love that you, you're talking about different ways that can happen. It's not a necessarily a, a, a rigid thing. It could be a movie like The Pilgrim's Progress or uh, what's the Free Burma Rangers? Man, you've been talking that movie up so much, man. We have yet to see it, but, but it's coming. Uh, and it, it's kind of easy to kind of bat around, you know, this movie, that book. But when we dig down into the practicality of our lives, we will encounter obstacles to this. So talk to us uh, a minute about what are some obstacles of home life. Yeah, yeah. And we can go back and forth on this because I, I know you have some good ones too. It, home life is not, it's not a breeze. And, yeah. and we know that in this quarantine season of COVID-19, uh, I'm hearing from others, I'm experiencing it myself, that work has not necessarily decreased. For some, it's increased. And since many are working remotely, there, there's no change of context to create a change of mentality. And so one obstacle is there, there tends not to be a clear boundary between work and home. Uh, so I think that can be an obstacle. And, and, and I think a healthy relationship with work means that I'm setting a boundary. So much as it depends on me, there's a time that you're gonna close the computer. There's a time when that phone's gonna go out of sight. And there's a moment where you say, Lord, thank you for sustaining me another day in my work. I work today with all my strength and I ask that what I created and produced would be used for your glory and for the good of people. And I hand this over to you now. And if you keep me in my sleep and I wake up to new mercies tomorrow, I'll pick this up back then. I think it's, it's helpful to remember that we're human beings, not human doings. And, and God, yes, he's made us to create, but he's also given us limitations. We, we, we need rest. I think we honor God at home by honoring these limitations and seeking him for our soul's strength for what the next day is going to demand. You know, I know in this moment, we're not talking about Sabbath, but we just came off a great sermon that you delivered on Sabbath. And I had a friend uh, who would turn her phone off for 24 hours. And, and she, when she met someone, she made sure they knew that was part of her weekly ritual. So I know <laughs> that that's a bit of a different example because we're talking about Sabbath, but if spending time with God is where we find home, and Sabbath is just extended time at home, it's really just more of the same, right? That mm -hmm. time we spend with God in the morning on Sabbath just gets to go further and go longer. And so not necessarily suggesting you should switch off your phone for 24 hours. Some of us just can't do that with the jobs we work. But uh, yeah, she was, she was a model for me and how she was serious about spending time with God. 
So uh, some other obstacles that can show up is, is the people that we live with, and particularly people that we live with who aren't Christians. Uh, and a helpful reminder for me is Ephesians 6, which makes it very clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so it's not against the people we live with, uh, but it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness. So while our true enemy is spiritual, those spiritual forces control people who are outside of Christ. And Paul makes that clear earlier in Ephesians. In uh, chapter 2, he talks about how Christians used to live before Jesus. And he's, he says that we were dead. Uh, we uh, followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, of the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So that was us before Jesus, and that's true of people who are still separated from Jesus. They are following the spirit of this world. So we have to remember that. For everyone in your life, they're either in the kingdom or they're not. So if your kids are not in the kingdom, they're lost. If your roommates are not in the kingdom, they're lost. So even though our enemies are spiritual, the people you live with play an active role in one of two kingdoms, which means they can be conduits for spiritual opposition or spiritual encouragement. So the question is, what happens when those people I live with are opposed to the kingdom of God? And I've seen this show up in my own life, and, and the best answer I've come to is just bless them. Uh, we want to display kingdom values while at the same time respecting those around us. And I think an easy first step is to invite your roommates into your world. Are people from Kings Hill coming over for a game night, or, or are they coming over for dinner? Well, invite your roommates. That's a good point. Yeah. And what if they say no? Because that's, what if they say no? Well, that's not your job. Your job is to love them and pray for them. So, so I think, yeah, I would just return to this idea of owing them a continual debt of love. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. Owe them a continual debt of love. And I, I just think that has to cover and coat how we interact with people, even if they're outside the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, we, we frame the question in terms of obstacles of pursuing Jesus in, in, in our home, but I think this is a good place to say it's an opportunity to uh i mean the beautiful thing about our address you know where we put our head at night is we have close relationships there that's a that's an incredible thing the the messy thing about home is that we have close relationships there yes. right <laughs> and uh you know for me i'm dealing with energetic kids when i come home you know my wife and i were making sure that we're on the same page with communications and logistics and and, and it's constant and here's what i have to remember about seeking God at home is that there, yes, there's that time where my vocational work uh, ends, but then I pick up something new. I pick up relational work. Uh, according to Jesus, maintaining unity in relationships and cultivating a love for those that are in close proximity to me, that's actually, that's worship. Paul, in the later part of Ephesians 5, the beginning part of Ephesians 6, he lays out this relational type work for husbands, for wives, for children. Peter tells me that broken unity between husband and wife has spiritual consequences. He tells me in his first letter in chapter three, verse seven, that if I don't consider my wife and treat her with respect, if I don't consider her as an heir of grace, that my prayers are going to be hindered. Jesus tells me in Matthew five, verses 23 and 24, that if I'm coming to bring a gift to the altar, but I remember that my brother has something against me, I need to leave the gift there, go to my brother, be reconciled, and then come back to the altar. In other words, horizontal relational reconciliation is an act of worship. Peter, Paul, Jesus, they're all in agreement here. 
that relational unity is a big deal. And so when we fight to get on the same page with the roommate, when we fight to get on the same page with our, with our spouse, this is an, an activity of worship. And uh, that's why I say, yes, we framed it as, as an obstacle, but really it's, it's an opportunity for us to experience God as we strive toward unity and love with others. And I would just pick up that phrase, experiencing God, to talk about our, our last obstacle, because it's the idea of compartmentalization. Uh, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, uh, the Lord has these words for us. He says, these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So if you read that closely, either you're in your house or you're out of your house. Either you're awake or you're asleep. So no matter where you go or what you're doing, the things of God should be on your mind. So when you talk about the last obstacle being an opportunity to experience God, that's how I view every segment of my life. There's no compartmentalization. Uh, the goal isn't to worship Jesus at home, check the box, and then go throughout my day. God, God is home. So how can I make space to go home to him throughout the day? When I'm at work, when I'm walking in my neighborhood, when I'm exercising, when I'm at the grocery store, right? God wants to meet you in all those places. So we really have to train our minds to let go of this compartmentalization. Of, well, I meet God here, but then he's not interested in the rest of my life. No, it's, it's all. Paul, the, I love that you're drilling home this point because uh, I need to make sure that my heart has space for the words of Christ to take up residence. Something that can crowd out space in our heart. Uh, and I know I'm going to be stepping on toes here, but it's entertainment. Woo! Technology is not neutral. We can yield it for God's glory. I mean, that's what this podcast is attempting to do. But everyone in the tech business has the motivation of getting us hooked. They know how to keep us coming back for more, more screen time, more clicks, more business. And their motivation is to influence and control our attention and our affections. That's why business that's why you'll see businesses track bounce rate. How many pages, uh, other, how many pages do I visit other than the one that I originally clicked on, right? Or they, they track retention rate. How long do I stay on the site itself? Uh, they're after your heart and your mind. And, I, and this is something Chelsea and I are talking about. We have to make some changes here. Uh, and I've heard TV described as the great time waster. And it's hard for me to disagree with this. Enjoyable. Yes, relaxing, yes, mind-numbing, yes, but joy awakening, love building, Christ exalting, rarely. I, I grieve thinking over the sins that we watch on television, things that we're inviting into our heart, sins that Jesus died to remove from our lives, and here we are taking them in with popcorn. Sins that desensitize my mind to violence, scenes that producers intentionally put in shows to arouse lustful desire in my heart. I mean, we get the picture. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16, look carefully uh, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. I got to be able to assess and evaluate all the platforms of technology, all the screen time, is this making the best use of my time? In my home, if I want Jesus, 
to really take up residence in my heart, whatever is drawing my attention or my affections away from Jesus, I'm saying, no, thank you. You know, I, I heard one preacher say it this way. Uh, when, when we all stand before God, social media will be a great way to demonstrate that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Prayerlessness was not from lack of time. And that's not a blanket condemnation on social media. People can meet Jesus through Facebook and all kinds of wonderful operations, but man, so true that entertainment is not neutral. Technology is not neutral. It has purpose. And that's just such a good word for me, Jonathan. So I, I need to hear, I need to have my toes stepped on, if you know what I mean. So uh, yeah, so powerful. Uh, and, and, and when we think about uh, the, the individual Christian life, you know, that, that's kind of dominated a lot of our conversation here, but we also get to talk about what it means corporately. So how can we use our homes, not just to foster love for Jesus on our own, but how do we use our homes to foster love for Jesus for others? Let's mm -hmm. talk about that. Yeah, I'd say if you have roommates, pursue opportunities to, to discuss your faith. And you've already talked a little bit about this. Uh, many of us moved to the city of Boston not knowing anyone. And so it's going to be hit or miss whether or not our roommates are going to be followers of Jesus. But I would say, what an opportunity if God has given you roommates who are not believers. You're an ambassador of Jesus, meaning you represent the values and an agenda of heaven wherever you go, especially in your home. And you have unbelieving roommates, home is not just a place to lay your head at night, but it's a place to continue pursuing the mission of God uh, on your life. Uh, but I would say that I would say there, there also needs to be this mind shift change as we think about our home. Home is not merely a place of retreat. Uh, home is a weapon in our arsenal that we can use to see God's kingdom grow. When, whenever Chelsea and I moved on to 26 Pontiac Street in Mission Hill, and uh, I'm not sure how wise it is to throw out my address on a podcast, but I trust those that are listening. Yeah, I, I remember uh, a conversation that I had with Chelsea. We knew this would be a place where we'd like to live for a very long time, God willing. And we, we had this talk. We, we, we wanted to intentionally think about ways that we could not move into this temptation, thinking that this place was, quote unquote, a place for us and our family a place for us to quote unquote settle in like that's the wrong mentality the, the truth is that we're we're stewards of where we live uh, a deed might say that we own something in the side of the city but in the eyes of god we don't own anything it's been given to us so that we can use use our home to bring people in to love them and to sh to share with them and to show them the ways of our king we we pursue Jesus in our home by making it a place where other pilgrims can come and find rest, where other believers weary and tired in their faith journey can come and experience encouragement, strength, and comfort by meeting physical needs of our brothers and sisters, where our home is a source of refreshment for God's people. I think this is the, the uh, what the Bible would describe as hospitality, right? And Paul says in Romans 12, 13 to pursue that. So we want to invite people in using home as a weapon, right? Uh, a, a weapon of love towards people who need it. And I think using our home as a way to invite people in. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul shared the word but he also shared himself. Paul never withheld himself 
never withheld his life from others. He gave people access to all of him. I think in our context with a lot of college students in Mission Hill, if we're going to cast a biblical vision for honoring God in the home, we can't just share about it. We got to show it. If marriage is this beautiful picture of the gospel, which we know it is from Ephesians 5, where are people best going to see this picture at work? It's the home. If we have students who want to parent for the glory of God some, someday, but they don't know how, where is the best place for them to see gospel-centered parenting? It's the, it's the home. Uh, our home, it, it can't be for ourselves. We use it to give people access into our lives in hopes that this helps others follow Jesus. And in this way, we pursue Jesus with our home. What, what you're saying reminds me of something my amazing bride uh, will say that it just always gives me a good perspective. Carly says, asking uh, a lost person to follow Jesus is a lot more like asking them to come back home and a lot less like asking them to experience a foreign land. And so it's this idea that, that if God is our home, then when people step into our homes, they, they should feel that sense mm. that they should experience this, this kind of coming home because God is our true home. And so I would just, uh, a second to everything you just said. And I really think about how how can I use my home to bring others into communion with God? And this is true whether we live with Christians or non-Christians. A huge part of this is hosting. Uh, so imagine two scenarios. So one scenario, your house is occupied with non-Christians. But as you invite others into your house, they're going to see how much you value other people. And if you live with Christians, well, hosting is a way to build unity and be on mission with each other. So I think about Obi and Michael, who are two members at King's Hill. Oh, and, great, great men. Oh, man. They, they, they encourage my love for Jesus so much. Uh, and, and their roommates, they share an apartment. And by Boston standards, it's a humble apartment. But that doesn't stop them. They work together to host other people in a welcoming, loving environment. And, and I think that is a win. That's, that's the kingdom of God at work uh, in the home. And, you know, they might not have the traditional picket fence and all that. No one will have that in Boston. You know, they, they do have a, a backyard. They do. That's wow. And it's got a great view of the city. Yeah, that's right. Um, microgroups, by the way, I'm going to plug that real quick. And we're gathering in the park this Sunday. So if you're around, uh, I'm just going to plug that because I want to see your amazing face. But, but I'm, I'm getting a little off track here. If, if you live by yourself, don't count yourself out. I know we're talking a lot about roommates and family and kids, but for the people out there who are living on their own, you still get to do this. Uh, bless others by inviting them into your home and, and having a meal with them. You know, in the past when I've lived by myself, I'm not, I'm not the best cook, so I'd order pizza. You know, maybe I can't be the person who makes the food, but I can pay for someone else to do it. And so just I'm bringing us back to this idea that God is home. So how can you use your home to bring others to God? How can you create space for others to meet with God while they are in your house? Yeah, I, uh, I love this, Paul. Uh, what people need to see is... Uh, how God's reign over our lives affects the way we live, and what better place than our home to invite them, others, to see what God's reign looks like and what it even feels like. It's a good word from your bride, by the way. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's discussion as we talked about how to seek God while at home. 
glad you could join us at the King's Table. For more information about King's Hill Church, you can visit www.kingshillboston.com.